Welcome back to Deconstructing the Myth, Season 3, a season full of conversations about how to move forward with life during and after deconstruction. This week, I am so excited to have Kevin Sweeney here. He is the author of The Joy of Letting Go, which is a book I have thoroughly enjoyed this spring. He lives with his family in Honolulu and was co-founder and lead pastor of Imagine Church. He is the host of the podcast, The Church Needs Therapy, which I have not checked out and I think I need to based on that (laughs) title alone. Yes, yes. And he is the author of The Making of a Mystic. Thank you so much for being here, Kevin. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always cool. You know, I'm... I still like I'm 38 so I'm in that sort of in between technology really advancing into media and internet at some point in my life when I was young so I'm yeah. still amazed at technology so just the fact that you're in Kansas and I'm all the way in Hawaii on the most isolated landmass in the world and we're having these a generative you know yes. good hopeful conversation I think that's so amazing so I'm Grateful. That's amazing to me. And also I'm grateful anytime someone welcomes me into their space with their people, with the work they do, with the energy and the life that goes into it. So I I appreciate this. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it, too. And and it's funny. So in, in that same vein, I'm always really grateful that I can have these kinds of conversations with people and not have to have them necessarily physically present because I have very young children and it's always Mm. chaos and it's like, Oh Oh, wow, we still get to sit and do this. And it's just really great. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. So to, to start out with, I kind of did a little bio, but could you tell us just a little more about who you are, what you're about, what makes your heart come alive? Yeah, I appreciate that question. You know, the, you know, like Marshall McLuhan said a long time ago, the medium is the message, Mm. you know, so it's not, people are not what they say. They are not just the content they share. They are the entirety of their story. They are, everything they say is spoken out of the story and the context. So it's always so important because the story itself speaks. It's the space within which we speak, but it also speaks. So I think that's a, that's a great question to begin. Yeah. You know, for the purposes of, of this podcast, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of like a zoomed out sort of spiritual journey. I went to, I grew up in the in Los Angeles, California. So I grew up in LA in the San Gabriel Valley and okay. just like just east of downtown LA out the 10 freeway, that next area of all those little cities right there. And I went to Catholic school for second and third grade. And in fourth grade, my parents sent me to public school. So LA Unified School District, my first day, there's kids cussing. I'm like, oh man, people, kids are fighting all the time here. And you don't, we don't really, there's not really that much trouble when you're doing stuff. And for my nine-year-old self, going to public school with all the fighting and the cussing and the freedom, for me at that point, I was like, this is salvation. This is, this is <laughs> heaven has truly come to earth. I can finally let loose and be myself. <laughs> but the reason why I bring it up is, you know, I stopped going to mass like young as well. And my parents never pushed that on me. Right. So then my dad's family's traditionally Catholic. My mom came into Catholicism with his family. But when we were just young and we wanted to not stop going to mass and it wasn't some massive ideological you know how dare the pope like ex cathedra that's that's ridiculous you know it wasn't like a massive philosophical thing it was just i was young and didn't want to go yeah but i was really grateful that my parents didn't push that on me and i as a teenager growing up i had what i call a pleasant indifference okay. towards god towards the church towards jesus like there was no trauma, no antagonism, no shame, no guilt. It was a background thing that I didn't consciously think about and didn't care about. Hmm. You know, and that's important for my story because growing up and eventually later on coming into the church, obviously I've discovered the amount of shame and guilt and trauma and antagonism and the the really complicated entangled knot of family systems and family wounds and religious trauma and religious beliefs and how those all get tangled together for people Mm -hmm. and how it takes so much energy and work to start to dismantle that and move on. And that's very real. And I know that, you know, but mine was like, whatever. And then 
this is in the first book, The Making of a Mystic. It's a there's a bit more of like my own story in there, but you know, I have an existential crisis at seventeen. Like, mm. hey, I have everything. Everybody, at least in the world I live in, of like music, basketball, drugs, hip hop. That that was the world I was in. I have everything I'm supposed to have. I'm I'm I can I'm getting ready to play basketball in college. I started recording music when I was young. I have money. I have all this. Stuff. I've been getting high since I was a little kid. And yet, why am I still unhappy? Like just those classic stories of you have everything and it feels like nothing. And now there's a crisis that sets in. And you can read more of that in the book. But I started eating psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin, when I was 16. And I had um, multiple experiences with mushrooms. And they were really like a spiritual guide for me. Mm. at an age when I didn't have anybody guiding me like that, right? I didn't have pastors. I wasn't like my parents weren't, I wasn't talking to my parents about my life like that at that point. And I, the mushrooms were, I have a chapter in the book called Mushrooms as Missionaries. Oh, wow. How interesting. In the first book. And I say in the same, in the, you know, if you suspend, if you temporarily suspend the, the, the urgent conversation of, Yes, missionary is, is a word entangled with colonialism and white supremacy and violence and expansionism and the myth of American exceptionalism, et cetera, which I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I do my own dismantling of that. I hope we all do those yeah. things in our lives. Yeah. But the healthy and humble part of that term is like, well, a missionary is someone who is pointing someone beyond themselves towards God, towards truth, towards Christ. If you can embrace that role, it's a beautiful thing if you do it with humility. And I like that. And so I'm like, in the same way missionaries were pointing people further towards Christ or Jesus, that's what mushrooms were doing for me. And eventually I have this spontaneous awakening moment with God at 18 while I was on mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And immediately, radically, transformed my life i would even say rewired my consciousness and completely reoriented my future where i walked away from music from college sports from everything and i said i'm going to give my entire life to this and for me that's such a defining moment my whole life in many ways is still a response to that because that leads to me moving away from la and trying to get sober at the time and trying to get away from where i was and I moved to Hawaii with my girlfriend who was out here, who's now my wife. You know, we had a long story together. And eventually I'm like, I think God's calling me to be a pastor, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what pastors do, you know, around 20. And I end up at a four square Bible college and I go to seminary and then I plant me and my wife and I plant a church at 28. So it was a unique, very unique journey to get to where I was and where I still am today. And it's one that, uh, you know, I just think it's funny and I'm really grateful for my own story. You know, I think it's really interesting and speaks yeah. to the in, the perpetual incarnation of Christ that is happening everywhere at all times and the, the, the beauty and mystery of what happens when we wake up to that. Hmm. That is really beautiful. And that's really <laughs> interesting about the mushrooms. It's crazy because I really have no experience with anything drug related really beyond like tylenol and the <laughs> you're thing all you're is, all and even that even that even that me. a little sketch <laughs> but through my podcast i think i've had like three or four people tell me that ha- doing mushrooms is that the correct even terminology Do- doing much i don't even know what you say but they've told me that that has been a super spiritual experience and i was mm. like what in the world there's people need to be like researching this or something well so, that yeah that no that's that's true i mean there were there's a huge research that's happening now with clinical research therapy you know ketamine psilocybin which is what's in mushrooms uh, lsd which is you know acid and how all of these things can affect people who are healing from trauma and what they do Mm. in therapy so it's not the first time we've seen that in the u.s but there's a massive resurgence right now in and focus on that so it's a it's it's a unique time for that that's wild so i'm behind the trend but it's just crazy (laughs) to me that so so many people i've run into have said similar things yours yours is definitely a very intense experience though and very Mm -hmm. i don't know it's, it sounds, I mean, I guess it was a conversion experience, really. Abs- you know, and absolutely. And, you know, with my limited religious language at the time, because, you know, prior to that, I had zero experience with anything like 
besides my Catholic upbringing, like remotely evangelical or like Protestant, like I didn't know those things existed. Mm-hmm. I never knew there was even youth groups, you know, when I was a kid. I didn't even know that yeah. was a thing. That wasn't in my world. It wasn't Wild. until later I discovered, I was like, damn, there's all these kids around me who were probably Christians when I was young and I didn't even know it. I didn't <laughs> even think about it. <laughs> That's um, wild. But it, it, it wasn't. And that, as a person who went on to read a lot and even study theology at, at formal levels, you know, going into Bible college and grad school, that always stayed with me because my profound awakening transformative moment with God happened prior to me really having any solidified beliefs about God. Hmm. I never heard, no one told me about the atonement as a kid. No one told me that this is what Jesus did for me. No one told me this is what Orthodox theology, you know, it was a direct, and that is actually when someone asks what a mystic is on a really simple level, a mystic is somebody whose faith is defined by direct experience of the sacred. Ooh, it is a direct that. knowing of and a being known by God. So my primary foundational experience as a Christian was not here is a system of belief to believe in. It was here is a transformative experience of grace and love that feels like it's at the center of the universe. Oh, wow. My first encounter with God was a set of universally affirmative loving eyes that were fixed upon me and never left since then. So that always affected my relationship, you know, with beliefs and theology and still does because it was like, oh, no, my experience, transformation, taste, knowing whatever you want to call it happened prior to me having any holding on to really any beliefs about God in a definitive way. That's interesting. What do you do with that? You know, Mm -hmm. when somebody says you're supposed to believe these things in order to experience God, I'm like, that's not what happened to me. How can I say that? You know, Mm -hmm. so it's always shaped me since then. And that that foundational experience has always stayed with me. That is so interesting. Okay, so reading your book, and I will say I had my own little experience of letting go while reading this. Nice. (laughs) And I mean, I'm sure it will impact me even more beyond this, but or like months and months ago when we connected, um, I got a digital copy of your book and I was trying to like hurry through it and everything. And then we had some health stuff go on with our family and had to really, um, push our interview out. And so I, I actually, I went and got a physical copy of your book because I thought there's too much I need to, I want to write in it. And it's like, I can't, I I mean, maybe there's a way on my Kindle, but I struggle. And Mm. so I have loved it and I, I've gone slow. So I'm actually not completely done because I, I read, I feel like I just read paragraphs at a time, paragraphs. Mm. And it's just, that's a beautiful way to do it, actually. Mm. I think that's a good mm. sign of good writing. Yeah. And um, so so I, I say all that to say, if you've already answered this in your book, you'll have to forgive me. But as someone who focuses on deconstruction with my, my, with my work, it feels like you're writing right to everyone deconstructing. But mm. as I've been saying with it, I was like, is that... Is that what you're talking about? Or is that just a great overlap? Do you have a deconstruction Mm. story or Mm. was it almost deconstructed from the start for you because of your unique entrance Mm. into belief? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. The work of, you know, the overall engine towards letting go is not, hey, this is specifically for people who are going through a massive paradigm shift, deconstructing, dismantling, especially in the first stage you ever do that, that's the most disruptive and traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be, to me, there will, there will be multiple stages of what people refer, what, you know, is referred to as deconstruction. To me, they're evolving through stages of consciousness and stages of faith. That's how I see it. But when most people in a, at a popular level right now talk about deconstruction, it's usually that first, for the first time, the lens through which I am seeing, I have stepped outside of and recognized it as a lens, as a belief system. For the first mm. time, my belief system is I'm having an analysis on that. This is not just something I'm looking through. It's something I'm looking at. Do I believe this? What was handed to me? How I've always been taught that. There's a larger tradition. People say this, like that first disruptive thing, which I totally get. And my experience of that was, so here I have this profound awakening moment with God. And then a few years later, I end up at a very conservative evangelical Bible college, right? Mm-hmm. That was, which was really like my first time around, like concentrated, a concentrated space of Christians, Interesting. which is, you know, it's intense because it, it, to me, it was like, oh, this is like, you get a little bit of the youth group feel, but it's also college, you know, and yeah. I wasn't. 
I didn't live on campus. I was already married, so I was like in and out. So I wasn't super present, you know, and active there at all. But it was more just the school. But I go to school for a year or two, and I'm like, I've never read theology before. I've never read this. So when they're handing me this way of seeing, at first, I'm like, this is great. This makes sense. Oh, historical grammatical interpretation. Yeah, this is how you're supposed to read the Bible. And mm. I'm like, cool. And I remember this is how my my first big that first big stage of deconstruction and evolution happened for me. I remember at the end of my second year, a friend of mine at the school was like, "Hey Kev, you really should be careful how you talk here." Huh. And I'm like, "What do you mean?" Right? Because this is all pretty new to me, you know, like yeah. all it's church and Christians. And he was like, "Well, if you keep talking like this, people are going to think you're emergent." And for my listeners, for my list, for the listeners who are, I'm 38, who are in your 20s, you may have never heard of emerging church or the emergent church, you know, from 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. But basically, it was the first public group of people who had any notoriety in like evangelical publishing world who were deconstructing and evolving and doing it publicly because it was just the advent of podcasts where they just started becoming a thing. And they were getting publishing deals. So I'm like, these were the first people at a popular level who were deconstructing and writing about it for the masses, at, like, at sort of within the evangelical subculture. And I had never heard of that. You know, I was yeah. new to this. I didn't know. I was like, oh, really? I was like, shoot, I better read about, you know, this. <laughs> Get in line. And that, <laughs> and that summer, so I bought a book called The New Christians by Tony Jones. And I read it and it was like, oh, this is a writer who all the professors at my school or at least, you know, the ones who are aware would say this is dangerous. This is postmodernism. This is whatever. And I read it. I was like, pretty much like this makes the most sense to me out of anything I've ever read. Hmm. And then that summer was like the, when I first discovered I can constantly read and I never knew that about myself. And I just started reading a book every two to three days. And it was... Wow. Tony Jones and Doug Padgett and Brian McLaren and all these emergent writers. And I'm reading the theologians and then eventually the philosophers they're quoting. And that summer was like, I came back a different person to that school. It was like, man, this shift of I'm starting to critique the lenses I've been handed. I'm starting to rethink the way in which I'm taught to read the Bible or think about authority or inerrancy or whatever it is, or even certainty or what the, or like every, that first big stage happened for me there. And then for me, it just kept going. And when I went to grad school at Fuller, I studied black and womanist theology was my focus. So Hmm. I'm, I, for me, I just followed my curiosity and I always just followed wherever the energy was really for me when it comes to reading at, at any time and learning. I, that's one thing about growing is it takes courage to grow. Yeah. Growing is scary. Change is hard. And we can talk more about that when it comes to letting go and and evolving and deconstructing, but it requires so much courage to open yourself up to a real journey of truth, not knowing where the chips of thinking are going to fall, but trusting that wherever they fall, you're going to be okay. Mm. Are the and that this and this is the journey of a mystic is no our faith is not defined by the beliefs that we have about God or the beliefs we hold about God it, our faith is defined by the trust that we are being held by God I can oh, change I my that. mind and still be deeply loved I can change my beliefs about this theological topic and it has nothing to say about the grace, the ever-present awareness of God and the grace that is always available to me. I trusted that. That's what enabled me to grow without having to sort of, you know, circumvent or like short circuit the process. I remember a kid in Bible college once saying like, I want to like read all these people, kind of like whoever he saw is controversial, but I just want to know in the end, pretty much I'm still going to be evangelical. And I'm like, that's not what a real journey towards truth looks like. Yeah. A real journey is I have to allow truth to present herself to me on her terms and humbly place myself before her and allow my life to be changed and adapted and malleable along the way because this is bigger than me. And to me, I trusted in God more than I trusted in my theology of God. Wow. 
my understanding of God did not liberate me. God, God's self, that, 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 like when I said earlier, that fixed gaze upon me that is loving and consistent and the center point that holds all this together, that is my life. So once I started, once I went through that first shift, I'm like, you can always trust the journey of truth because actually in the end, the ultimate determining factor of the quality of our life is not what I believe about God. It is the trust that I am being seen, loved, cared for, and carried through by God. That's where my faith is. So I just kind of kept going from there. That is really fascinating because it's, I, I have long said, I think it is a bad idea to only deconstruct with the plan of reconstructing as for, mm. because often most people when they hear reconstruct they mean emerge almost exactly where you started mm. you know as a christian and as is still in evangelicalism necessarily or still in christianity necessarily and it's like like you said i just think if that's your plan you're not really even starting the journey necessarily mm. I, I think maybe reconstruction can be a goal if it means you know, moving on with your life at some point, not just living mm. in constant despair, which some of us, <laughs> some mm. of us sometimes equate deconstruction with that. But I think that's mm. really interesting. Mm. I just think it's really interesting that you talk about that. And I don't know. I just, I just wonder to what degree is the church losing mm. respect because we would mm. rather believe like I, I just I, I've even asked some friends this. I was like, if we were wrong, mm. would you want to know? And it's mm. about half and half mm. with the people I mm. talk to, which is actually crazy. And to at first, I was like, I don't get that. How would you not want to know? Mm. And it does make sense, though, to a degree, because a lot of us, our lives are so wrapped up into it. It's like, how do you mm. even function outside mm. of the paradigm? And so there is this fear. But at the end of the day, wouldn't we all want to live? with the the biggest grasp of truth that we can have you know mm. so i just i think it's really interesting you bring that up um yeah yeah no that's that's really interesting and here's this is why i have you know hopefully compassion and an understanding for people who like would say that for example who's like i don't want to know and i'm like even though to me that that's problematic you yeah. know like because the openness is one of the essential keys for growth and for change period mm-hmm. and for love and for your partners like you know marriage you know the journey of marriage like you have to stay open you have to be receptive you have to listen to critique you have to be willing to courageously offer critiques anything mm. that's getting in the way of us connecting we have to be able to share that and listen and move forward together openness is everything you know yeah. so i yes i think that but that doesn't mean i don't have compassion or understanding for people because it is that traumatic yeah you know like yeah. like even to jump ahead a bit, but I'm like, one thing you have to let go of, even as letting go to me is connected with growing, one thing you have to let go of in order to grow is security. Yeah. That's scary. Like, that. now when I say that, like, when I say that in order to grow, you have to let go of security, I don't, I'm not saying that as we keep evolving, we become less and less secure. It's actually quite the opposite. As we grow up and wake up more and more, we naturally become more grounded and more secure and more organically live from our deepest center in Christ. But when I say letting, we have to let go of our security in order to change, it means relinquishing any false sense of security that helped hold us together in previous stages of our life. Mm-hmm. We have to let go of what we thought was our security in order to feel secure. We have to let go of what used to make us feel at home in order to truly feel at home in ourselves. We have to let go of what, you know, we used to hold on to, this beliefs, this understanding of God like this, the relationships we have. We have so we can experience the freedom of not needing to hold on to anything out of our own strength and power. Like, that's hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's freedom beyond that, but the journey through it when you first start having to do that is really scary. And that that to me is something I'm glad I've 
been able to hold on to through the wisdom of others and through my own journey is I can be totally honest. Like when you talk about your friends, like, yes, that's very narrow minded and to me immature to not want to know the truth. It is. But that doesn't mean I don't care about people and and understand how hard it is to be open to that. Because you're asking somebody to reorient the entire way of life that has given them a sense of self and a sense of tribal identity that has grounded them for a long time. That's really difficult. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And as you were talking, it made me think of the verse about, um, oh, where is it? Matthew, you know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Uh, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it's like you get this mixed in with all this imagery in the Bible about how difficult it is. And I this just occurred to me now, but I do wonder how much of this is just the work of letting go because Mm. it is in some ways that would be such an easy uh, yoke, a light burden. And yet it's one of the hardest things <laughs> to actually be able to do because mm. it's so almost counterintuitive in so many ways. Mm. So man, I, I don't know. You have so much, so much wisdom. And I think you talk about security in your book. I think I just recently read that actually. Mm. Um, just, yeah. If our listeners are loving what you're saying, like me, you should definitely grab this book. Mm. Um, so let's get into the book, actually. Uh, in the introduction, you write, I know writing an entire book about letting go is not a great stat- strategy for gaining popularity or building a platform. And I know that if we're honest, we aren't that interested in reading about acceptance, <laughs> dying, and letting go. And if we are really honest, we are even less interested in actually doing those things. So my question is, with all of that being true for so many of us, what made you want to write this particular book anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a that's funny. That that is a <laughs> that is a dilemma for me when it came to writing this book. Is the one thing I want to write about is that which most people spend their whole lives trying to avoid, yeah. which is yeah. the spaces <laughs> of acceptance, death, and letting go, which is the way. You know, it's it's mm. like. Virtually every time we are angry, feel stuck, and are struggling to move forward, eventually there's probably just something we need to let go of. Mm. Right? That's And that's after the rage, the blame, the name-calling, the threats, the pity parties, depending on how your ego copes with, you know, traumatic things. We all have different ways of doing that. Yeah. But we fight, we resist, and we desperately try to believe it's a million other easier things than the one thing it almost always ends up being which is we need to do some letting go Mm. right we'd rather just get angrier at injustice and rage against the machine harder we can do that or like for some people we'd rather just show up to the next event and the next deliverance night or go to the next big thing and sing louder and cry harder or maybe for for like mind-oriented people like myself or my centers naturally in my mind maybe we want to just read another book about letting go instead of trying instead of actually letting go yeah but (laughs) that's that's what i want to tell people with the book is you know the title is a paradox you know the joy of letting go it's like you know the beauty of death you know or the like life and death it captures some of those deep paradoxes of the spiritual life but Every time we let go, we begin again. And I say in the book, every time you every time you let go, you begin again. And every time you begin again, a part of you is born again. Now, I believe that. After all these years and my experiences and wherever I'm at, whatever I believe, to me, I'm like death and resurrection is this deep pattern woven into all of created life itself. And with that, every time you trust the death all the way through, there's always resurrection. Mm. And every time you do the real work of letting go, it always leads to more joy. It leads to more spaciousness. It leads to more freedom. It leads to more peace each time you do it. So I'm almost like, it's like, you know, I forget who said it, but it's like, you know, the truth will, I think it's George Bernard Shaw. I might be wrong, but the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. And I want to say to people, letting go, it is hard. It is one of the scariest things. It does leave you so vulnerable and exposed. It almost feels impossible while you're doing it. But every time you trust that all the way through and trust trust that God... Not your beliefs about God, not your theology, but the pres- the active, loving, holding together presence of God will carry you and love you through any of those impossible spaces of letting go, there's always more life on the other side. 
Every single time. That's what I want people to trust. Whether you're deconstructing, letting go of beliefs, if you keep going and keep doing the work, doing the letting go, realizing it's not just about abstract beliefs, but there's other things happening beneath the surface along the way, always leads to more life. The things you're white knuckling, like we we de- we hold on to the very things that are getting in the way of the freedom and life we desire all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, David Foster Wallace says everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it, and I want to say I understand that, but it doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to wait five years to let go of something to have more peace that you can let go of five hours from now. Hmm. It doesn't have to be like that. And to me, yeah. that is a central part of what it means for me. To be a Christian is trusting that space of death and letting go because it always opens us up further on the other side. Yeah. Wow. It's really beautiful. Uh, I, I know you just touched on this, but, you know, especially for those in faith deconstruction, I want to talk about why this is so important. And before I have you answer that, I mean, even just this week. The things people have messaged me, you know, someone is deconstructing her idea about hell. And we did a hell series, which I think has kind of helped spur this on. But this idea of, oh, wait, it's not necessarily this fiery pit of, you know, eternal torture. And actually, the Bible doesn't even necessarily mean that. It's all this. (laughs) But then, but then, so she, it's like this wanting to let it go. And mm-hmm. desiring it. And then she gets critiqued by someone. And it's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. what if I'm wrong? What if there's all this at stake to lose? So that's something some person, you know, one person's dealing with that. I have people mm-hmm. dealing with things, mm-hmm. you know, like even just questioning and now being told you're a heretic. That's <laughs> blasphemy. You are not honoring God. You're following your flesh. All these Christian things we like to say to each other. And it's like, so So there's this whole other element of this shame and, and fear. Mm. And, you know, I, I suppose it's not so different in deconstruction from other things. But I think because there's like these eternal implications, yes. sometimes it can feel mm. so overbearing. So mm-hmm. even though you did kind of talk on it, I just wonder if there are any more specific uh tips about letting go that you would have for those who might be experiencing faith deconstruction yeah and that's why you know podcasts like this the things that are being written today the voices that are naming all of this for people like yourself and so many others is so important because of those messages you're getting yeah this isn't abstract this isn't theoretical this is this is what it feels like to have dinner with my parents now yeah this is this oh this, this is this is why I'm not saying that for myself. I'm just saying in general. Okay, like, I, I was like, he's no, no, gonna no, slide no, that my, in, no, slide my, that no. in there. <laughs> oh no, my parents are chill. They're not tripping on any of this. Okay, okay, great. Good. Um, um, but for a but lot I, of I, us, I'm just just naming people's experiences. Yeah, it's for like, a lot of people. This yeah. isn't theoretical. It's like this is what makes dinner with my parents difficult. This is yeah. what makes relationships with broader family members feel impossible. This is what's transformed my friendships. This is why. I no longer can be a part of that church. Like you're talking about the relational Mm -hmm. fabric that has held us together 10, 20, 30 years, maybe. And now that's, that's, that's hard. You know, I want to keep emphasizing that. Like it's not easy, but it's such a courageous journey that requires the very thing. If people think you're losing your faith, it actually requires more faith to keep going through this journey. Hmm. So, but one, yeah, one thing I would say is, and there's many that we can keep touching on, but first, one of the things we have to let go of in order to grow spiritually, and let's say one thing you have to let go of on the, while you're deconstructing, is some of our relationships. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I was, tw- I told a story in the book. I don't remember what chapter exactly, maybe the inner authority one. Mm-hmm. But I'm 24 years old. I was my wife, and after we got married, we lived in Orange County for five years in California. But we were back visiting Hawaii before we moved back here. And I'm sitting in the back of a church in Hawaii and I'm listening to one of the most ridiculous and dangerous sermons I've ever heard. Hmm. This like well-respected and popular preacher was talking about, or maybe it was like somebody in this, this well-known church. It wasn't the main guy, but he's talking about the military and war and like the devil and demons and other ideas. A part of me probably blocked out immediately (laughs) after I heard them. And to me, I'm like, man, this, looking back, I'm like, this is magical and mythical thinking. It's fear-mongering nationalism. And somehow this man still had the audacity to conclude with an altar call. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, after all of that, like I write in the book, like what do you, an altar call really? Like what are people saying yes to after this sermon? Yeah. I have no idea. Um, but despite, you know, in that moment, my disbelief that someone could preach a sermon and be confident enough to give an altar call, I unexpectedly responded to that moment and, you know, the breakdown moment of worship after in tears. Mm. It just wasn't for the reasons other people in the auditorium probably would have assumed. Yeah. While people around me were, were like, oh, maybe this gifted preacher just got another troubled young man into the presence of God. The truth was I wept because I knew I could never be a part of churches like this. Yeah. I wept because I knew there were so many relationships I wouldn't have because of the trajectory of my own growth. Mm-hmm. I wept because in that moment I felt the, because I was still in Bible college at the time, I think, or maybe I just finished, but I wept because I felt the immediacy of uncertainty, loneliness, and loss of connection that would continue to be associated with my journey in Christ because I was growing and changing. And these this group represented the tribe and the group think that I was mostly a part of and... I just knew I couldn't do it and have my own integrity and alignment with mm-hmm. God. And so when I say let go of relationships, I'm not saying you have to walk away from people when you can grow. I'm simply saying we need to accept that some people will walk away from us as we grow. Yeah. That the same people who were once supportive and encouraging are now worried and concerned. And some people are see faith and following Jesus as a straight path you're supposed to stay committed to. Some of us see it as an ever-widening road that keeps getting more expansive and inclusive, which is fascinating because they're certain you're crossing over the lines, but you're confident the road keeps widening. Mm-hmm. Right? And even, even besides like friendships and relationships, there's another level of that with, with the people you once cherished as guides and mentors. Yeah. Because some of the pastors, leaders, youth pastors, friends, parents, whoever those people are for you, they can no longer fulfill that role for you on new stages of your journey quite often. Because to listen to the same people used to help you grow actually now feels like an unwelcomed beckoning or calling me backwards. Mm. Right? It's like the transformation of your teachers and guides into guardians of a past you want nothing to do with is very painful and frustrating and confusing can actually make us angry can lead us towards disdain of where they are and how could they trick us or why would they teach us that or whatever the thoughts we have and you know to lose these people we deeply cherish that's that's a form of it's a death it's a relational death you have to learn how to grieve this is where letting go is you know grief acceptance and letting go are all connected like those moments of growth and how it changes our relationships You have to learn how to grieve. You have to learn how to practice acceptance along the way. Because we, you know, and if you practice acceptance along the way, one of the great gifts you discover is you can still love and appreciate those people for the role they played in your past while at the same time being like, you're not helping me get to the future. Mm, I'm grateful for that. Like there was sermons some of the first sermons I ever heard in my life at a church out here in Hawaii, 20 years old around there, never really heard sermons before. And I can look back and be like, those were powerful, grounding, important things for me at that time. And now not only would they not help me grow, but I actually would disagree with the conclusions they've come to. Yeah, That's a fascinating thing. But at that moment, in that like, if you think about the movement from A to Z, it was like that, that pastor helped me get from C to D. And I needed that at that point. But now that I'm wherever I'm at in the alphabet, oh, not only is that not helping me move forward, but like, I don't even think that's true, you know? But I can, there's grief there. There's acceptance along the way. And it's like, no matter how hurtful it was at the time, I can appreciate, like, that's an important thing. We can question or critique or disagree with the conclusions that those former guides and mentors have come to without questioning their faithfulness. Oh, wow. Yeah. That person's being faithful out of what they see and how they see and the, the stage of consciousness they're in the state, the lenses they're looking through, they were being as faithful and as loving as possible. I can appreciate that and still be like, and I think that shit's dangerous. 
<laughs> Man, that is powerful. You feel me? <laughs> that is really powerful because I think for I'm so sorry, many of I'm us. I'm sorry. If you, I'm, I don't know if you do. No. people cuss on him. Oh, it's so, fine. Like, no, we do. Okay. we do. <laughs> we okay, do. Okay, cool. So, You're fine. It's the I'm shrooms. I'm sorry. I feel good, I feel good <laughs> about it The shrooms and the cussing are all welcome here. Um, <laughs> but no, that's really powerful because I think that there's kind of this evangelical tendency to... We, we make things so black and white. It's so dual. Mm. It's like you were right. You were wrong. And it's I've really started to come to this conclusion because I do think we have this preoccupation with knowing the right things as if that's mm. what saves us. Totally. Exactly. And so there's this weird like, wait, you like you said, oh, you tricked me. Oh, how could you? And it's it's like I will have to sit with what you said that they're still being faithful because that's really hard for me for a few individuals to think about. Mm, But I think you're right. But the other thing I have come to at least is this thought. I truly believe God works within whatever paradigm we're already in. Mm, And I think we have this idea like, well, he's not going to work in your paradigm if you're wrong. And I think naturally the consequences often show where you're wrong. You know, but I think there's so many people who I say that does seem like God, but we vastly disagree on some things. But Mm -hmm. I also have my handful of things that seem like God. So what does that mean? And I just think God doesn't wait to act, you know, Mm -hmm. so I, I just really appreciate you saying that because I think that's something people who are still trying to hold on to say Christianity or to being a Jesus follower in, in spite of deconstruction, we, we tend to wrestle a lot with that black and white. You were a good influence or you were a bad influence on me. And it's mm. like, let's be honest. Often it's more than, you know, it can go more than one way. So. Yeah. And, and also, yeah. And I, w- I want to make a clear distinction when there's spiritual leaders, clergy pastors who were, emotionally psychologically sexually abusive that's different than what i'm saying yeah yeah that is not that's different than somebody saying well they're just trying to be faithful Mm, you know it's like no that's problematic it's dangerous they need to be called out held accountable and probably should not be in that role and 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 whatever the cases are like perhaps never go back to that role again yeah you know What I'm saying is, so I want to make that distinction for people to think I'm equating those because I'm not at all. That's a whole different thing where, you know, more and more people, thankfully, are being held accountable and those people are being called out more. And I'm grateful for the work, you know, like Julie Roy's and the work that she does and people like that who are helping bring this to the public. But to me, it's just, you know, your youth pastor, it's like, man, he, he, he or she, like, he's a great guy. She was awesome. They loved me well. But also, some, they were simply espousing and communicating conventional evangelical beliefs that I now have issues with and have critiques of. And yes, in some ways, do see as damaging and getting in the way of where the Spirit's leading humanity. I can be honest about that. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like, they were 26. Yeah. And they were being faithful, obedient, however they would say that, to some sort of a calling. To, to love kids well and to, you know, share the gospel. I can be super grateful for the love and sacrifices they made. Yeah. And also be like, and you know what? But when you're doing so out of that particular vehicle of conservative evangelicalism or whatever tradition they're part of, inevitably there's also damage. It's both. Yeah. There was things they said that stayed with me that messed with my mind for years and made it hard for me to trust myself. But at the same time, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have made it through that season of my high school life. It's both, you know, and we all can have our own versions of that because my thing with why I'm so big on forgiveness and letting go and say even what I'm saying right now is like, I want people to be more free. Hmm. I want people to be more alive. Like for me, life with God is not about being right. It's about being real. I don't, I have very little concern over abstract metaphysical beliefs about God. Maybe little, maybe none, maybe a little bit. I'm not sure, you know, but to me, God is inviting us to more peace, more courage, more joy, more connectedness, all these things. This is what I want for people. And when I talk when it comes to forgiving people for their past, accepting people for where they are, being able to critique somebody, but also let them be where they are. Like that's not for some moral superiority. It's because this is the path towards your freedom and joy. Yeah. It's not like I'm a better person for that. Now let me tell people I have the, no, it's because this is what helps. This is what makes me be, I want to be free. 
I want to live into the joy that I think is available to us, that I think this is all actually geared towards. And the, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the letting go, the allowing, the, the appreciating of people's faithfulness while critiquing what they say, like, man, that's a whole different way forward where you can keep growing without staying angry or stuck in the past. Because it's really easy to do that. That's really beautiful. I actually, can I ask you concerning deconstruction and anger? Mm. Because that is a pretty defining mm. part of the journey for a lot of people. And I I just wonder if you have any tips. Because, I mean, mm. I'm sure you would say along with many others, there's a place for anger. But sometimes the anger starts to steal life just as much as the thing we're angry about mm. and I, I don't know I, it, <laughs> let me know if you're open to answering that kind of just like on yeah. the spot but how do we maybe how do we think about and deal with our anger and in what ways do we let go or maybe when is the right time to let go mm. yeah any yeah. thoughts <laughs> yeah no that's a that's a great question and it's like for me I'm in such a different space than that first big deconstructing, paradigm shifting, disorienting, confusing thing that happens to all of us if we keep evolving, mm-hmm. you know? That first big one that, that, you know, where I was in that, like, rage against the machine, you know, like, that first big movement, I mean, that began for me at 24, mm-hmm. I think, maybe 23, you know, and I'm 38. So there continues to be many stages. And that's why I want to tell people, like, there's so much life beyond this. Yeah. And you can keep going and be more free and have more, like, I even and when I had a, my book proposal for my first book, one of the things on the book proposal was like, I don't know verbatim, but it was like, well, everyone's talking about deconstruction, something in their faith falling apart. This boy is written, this book is written from a place of joy, freedom, and light on the other side. Mm. It doesn't negate the experience. Yeah. It's just written further into the light. You know, I've oh, had, I've been in those places, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's good. It's a good question. Cause it speaks to the humanity and depth of where people are like any, I'm so out of touch with like a conservative evangelical, like imagination. Cause I'm just not in those spaces to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So it's like the thought, but I see stuff. I pay attention enough where it's like, Oh, people deconstruct cause they just want to do what they want. Or people, it's like things like yeah. that. I'm like, that has no, it makes no sense to me, you know, yeah. like, no, people are just being honest and having the courage to keep growing. Like, and that's hard, especially when you tribal identity, the, then you losing the institutional acceptance. I've, I've experienced those things in my life. I was banned. I, I was basically banned from the only, from the main Christian college campus here after teaching there for one semester. And it was really hurtful. Oh, wow. I was like 28 at the time or 29. I taught one semester and then it just got weird. You know, mm. like to the point where literally I had a friend be like, hey, you should come guest lecture in my class. And I thought things were cool after teaching there. And I was like, you should check in with the school about this just because I felt some type of way about something that happened. And like as I'm driving, like in the morning, he called me back. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry, but like you can't come. Oh, wow. Like I know what it's like to feel not welcomed in those kinds of spaces that once meant a lot to you. So anyways, back to your question, you know, anger is what it is. You know, it arises within us and you can feel it. You can name it for what it is. There's no need to have any shame or guilt for feelings that arise within us or thoughts that arise within our consciousness because we don't choose all those things as they arise. Mm. You didn't choose your default patterns. You didn't choose that you overthink things and feel guilty right away. You didn't choose all, we didn't choose those default patterns. That's just a part of the mystery of like growing up and what happens to us psychologically to survive. Yeah. But anger is okay. Anger is what it is. But I don't want you to stay angry forever. Mm. Like I said, this is a, to me, this whole life with God is about peace and joy and courage and being present and being awake. That's what this is to me. And anger, like you, you can't be fully present to the mystery of your kids while you're angry. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you can't appreciate the simplest, the sacredness and simplicity of a meal with three good friends in your twenties while you're angry. It's hard, you know, mm-hmm. like 
It, it, these are things that simply take away from our ability to be present to the goodness of life. So it's not saying don't be angry or else because someone's going to be mad at you. It's like, no, there's a, there's a calling beyond that for the sake of your own joy, peace, and freedom. And I don't that for me, I have this universal compassion for every human being. That doesn't mean I condone all their behavior. It doesn't mean I don't disagree with them. It doesn't mean I don't critique them, challenge them, confront them, call them out. Injustice, I've done those things and I'll continue to hopefully have the courage to do it. But I also know at a deeper level, everybody's just doing their best. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a parent who was neglectful or abusive or not present or didn't know how to connect with you or didn't like whatever it is, you know, cause we all have those issues, but you know what though? They were doing their best. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't condone. It doesn't mean what they did was good. It doesn't mean what they did was right, but they were really just trying their hardest in a, in a, in a world where it's just really hard to be human sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I always have this universal compassion of everybody's trying their best. So I can have the freedom to name everything I see as problematic, but not stay angry at you. I might have to have boundaries with you. I might not see that family member as much because they're so toxic, Hmm. but I'm not remaining angry at them because I know at a deeper level, their destructive behavior is flowing out of their own anger, hurt, disintegration, unhealed wounds. So it's like, their destructive behavior is actually a sign that they're not free and them not being free, not having joy, not having peace. You know what? That's really hard for them. Their life is really hard. I'm like the people you want to get revenge on. Trust me, their life is punishment in and of itself. And at a deeper level, I don't even want that for them. Yeah. Like one step of growth is like their life itself is the punishment. Just like somebody being on the edge of anger all the time. When that gets expressed towards you, you have to deal with it for five minutes today. They have to deal with being tortured by that 24-7. That's their life. And one, that's already, if I wanted revenge, their life is revenge. But two, a deeper level in the way of Jesus is I don't even want revenge. I want them to be free. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think it's being, it's like, can you simultaneously be totally honest about the issues, about what's wrong, but also preserve the dignity and fragility and humanity of a person who at a deeper level is is really hurt and trying their best even if you have to keep distance you can still have boundaries you can still do all that but on a heart-based level i'm like i know that person doesn't want this life Hmm. i know that who wants that the 60 year old who's isolated who's burned all their bridges whose kids don't visit them they don't want that life but they've made 10,000 micro decisions along the way to do that. And I feel for them. It's really hard, but they're also very dangerous. And I need to have boundaries with them. You can do both of those things at the same time. Yeah, that is yeah, really some, interesting. Some versions of those, you know, it's like staying angry at religious leaders. It's like, we all know this, but why would I give the my own capacity for joy away to some rigid, narrow-minded man who learned something at 24 that was meaningful to him and then crusted over and got stuck and never changed after Mm. it's like you yes what you said caused hurt to me i can name all that never gonna go to your church again we're not having christmas dinner together but i don't need to stay angry that's giving away all of my power to you you don't get that Mm. you don't have the authority to determine whether or not i can ever connect with someone deeply or have peace after that's not yours to give And when I stay angry and don't forgive, I am allowing you to have that. I refuse to do that. Not because I'm morally superior, but because I want to be, I want to say yes to the life I believe God has for me, which is this life of joy and abundance and freedom and peace. That's what I want. So there's a, you can be totally honest without sugarcoating anything that needs to be called out of any of the hurt. And at the same time, learn to forgive and just accept accept people and like i ask people why is it so hard to just let other people be yeah just let them be it's fine they're, yeah people are going to be like that but they're dangerous yeah and some people are going to be dangerous and they're going to say things that are horrible and you don't have to listen 
-hmm. And it's not your job to, you can't control them. You can surrender them to the mystery of life in God in the same way we're surrendering our own life to that. So there's, there's a way to be honest and be free from other people too. Wow. That's definitely timely. I think Mm. as more and more people are examining Christianity in particular, examining their faith traditions and, and angers and definitely a part for so many stories. But I think this thought of separating it from, from the life that's ahead of you, you know, we so often, like you said, we focus on, well, I don't want to think about that person poor or like there's reasons we try to let go of anger that is really directed behind us. And Mm. I just think this is really interesting to think, but look at what's ahead and your anger Mm. to some degree may hinder that. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Is there anything else you would like to share? I think we've touched on a lot of stuff from your chapter Mm -hmm. about evolving, but anything else? um, Yeah. For the deconstruction community in particular. And if not, that's fine. We can tell everyone where to find you and everything, but yeah, there's, um, there is this quote in one of those, in one of the chapters, um, that, that we talked about that, uh, Oh, this is like, first of all, I love the work of Mirabai Star. Oh, I've are, read a couple oh my, things by oh her. Oh, man. She's, She's somebody during the pandemic. Like, I've, I've like known of her name, but just never, for whatever reason, you know, never read her work. I'll be honest, the past five or six years since I had kids, I like barely read. I'm like, <laughs> my brain just doesn't work at nighttime I feel anymore. That deeply. <laughs> I'm like, honestly, from like brain fatigue, from like how I think how social media has really changed our like, capacity for reading for a long time i'll speak for myself i believe as somebody who used to read a lot i'm like i can't read them that much and then you add the media stuff in my brain along with kids i'm like if i read four pages in a row i'm like damn it i just did it that was awesome (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that that was good um but mirabai star she writes like it in it she has a she has a really fascinating story um, comes out of a Jewish background, writes at an inner spiritual kind of space, you know, but is, is connected with Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. Mm-hmm. And her most, one of her most recent books um, called Wild Mercy, I forget the, the title, it's like The Divine Feminine, I forget the uh, the subtitle, but Wild Mercy, if you, Mirror by Star, you look it up. She, um, in, in one of, this might be in a different book, but she, I believe, quoting St. John of the Cross, um, I forget exactly, but in one of my chapters, I wrote, this is why I love when Mirabai Star writes, so there is rejoicing in heaven when God removes the baby clothes from the soul. He is setting her down from his arms and making her walk on her own two feet. I'm like, so let's celebrate every time you rip off another piece of those baby clothes and walk freely into the future the spirit is always inviting you into. That's what this is about. Wow. Sometimes what we what the sacred cows of our old beliefs, the old ways of thinking and seeing, those are baby clothes that help keep us warm at that stage of our life that we no longer need. And there's a whole journey of walking on our own two feet further into the future. So that's what that's what I try to live into. That's what I want for the people I know, the people I care about, for you as someone who cares about Mm. people and takes the time to do this for your listeners. You know, let's when other people sometimes are the very things they're critiquing of your change are the things that we oftentimes need to rejoice about because it's a sign of our growth and what God's doing in us. So Man. that's that's the journey. That was so good. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to no, do this. I appreciate it. Yeah. I I love I love what you've had to say. I love I love your book, The Joy of Letting Go. Now I'm thinking I need to get get my hands on the making of a mystic because <laughs> That sounds right up my alley too. I mean, that's like my, <laughs> like I, that was the first book I wrote, you know, and it has more of my personal story and it's more like the joy of letting go is like, here's how letting go is connected to compassion to this or that. Mm-hmm. And I love it because that's really real to me. But the other one's just like, here's some wisdom about this. Here's some wisdom about this. Here's my personal story. Like I love the first book. I, mm-hmm. I, I really do. Yeah. I love that. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, <clears throat> how they can connect with you? Yeah. Yes, probably the the place I'm the most, not probably, definitely the place I'm most active on social media is on Instagram, at Kevin Sweeney One, is where I'm like updating the most, posting things. Um, My own podcast, The Church Needs Therapy, Hmm. that is probably roughly half my own teachings and then half 
interviews like this with writers, you know, guests, whoever they are. And yeah, the first two books on it, just look me up on Amazon, Kevin Sweeney, The Joy of Letting Go, The Making of a Mystic. And yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm a person who, you know, one, some say that spiritual teachers are just alarm clocks, hmm. you know, there to wake people up. And that's, it seems to be, I'm quite comfortable with that. You know, and that's what I've embraced the last 20 years of my life or so. And I want to keep doing that. And I want us all to keep going because after the disillusionment, the disenchantment, the disenfranchisement, I'm like, that was all a deconstructing and tearing down for the sake of moving through into the future. Does it mean reconstructing more rigid beliefs? It means moving forward into a future that is broader and wider and Maybe eventually you'll discover I never needed some of those beliefs in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin. Yes. No, this was great. this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.